1: Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hello, hello. For some exciting news, we have officially hit and passed 100,000 downloads on the podcast. Thank you to each and every single one of you, whether you have listened a few times or listened every Wednesday or if it's your first time today. I am grateful for all of your support, that you share the show, that you leave comments and reviews on iTunes and that you contact me and tell me about how each episode is helping you out or give me nominations for people to interview. So as a thank you, I'll be sponsoring a giveaway soon, and it will be on my Instagram within the coming week. You can find me there at About Progress. I'm also on Facebook at About Progress, and my blog is aboutprogress.com, and there you can access the show notes as well as past podcast episodes. Today, I'm sharing my interview with Lauren augustinelli Gasell. She is young, but has lived a life of trials that most people have never seen. The biggest challenge that has come for her is her diagnosis with multiple sclerosis as a 26 year old single mother of a two year old. More followed included an eventual stem cell transplant and chemotherapy in attempts to freeze the extreme effects of her chronic illness. While Lauren shares so much knowledge about MS, what amazed me most was her resilience, her choice to look for the blessings in her life and to still live with happiness let's turn to listening to lauren hi i'm here with lauren hi lauren hi monica i'm so pleased you're on the show today if you can give our listeners an introduction that would be great sure um first off thank you so much for having me i just so feel honored to be
2: able to um talk with you today but um, my name as like you said is lauren and i'm a mother to two little kids i have a Seven and a half year old son named Phoenix and a three year old daughter named Eden, and I am married to a wonderful, wonderful guy that I just got married to last year, um, following a divorce. And um, I live in North Idaho, and I uh, live with multiple sclerosis.
1: Now, we have so much to discuss tonight. I mean, like any one of those things we could spend hours talking about. What I would like to spend um, a big chunk of time is to talk. uh, I would like to talk about your struggle with multiple sclerosis. And I know that it has been an aggressive form as well. But before we launch into that, I want to know what life was like Pre-MS, so what was life like before you got your diagnosis? Before
2: I had MS, um, I was um, I was a mom to my son Phoenix, and I was a single mom for a while. And um, just like most um, young people in their early twenties, late teens, I had a lot of a lot of big dreams. I wanted to have a successful career, and I wanted to. You know own a beautiful house and travel and have a wonderful relationship and um, so I just felt like the future was pretty bright. I had been really healthy my whole life. Um, I had appendicitis when I was sixteen and ended up having my appendix removed. but besides that, I'd just been pretty much healthy as a horse, never had any other health problems, never in just normal cold flu type stuff uh, and if anything, I was kind of overboard into the the health stuff. I mm-hmm. used to love to exercise and uh, eat healthy. Um, when I first went to school, I was I was homeschooled, and so I took my GED and I first started at community college and I did a nutrition uh, culinary arts program. Wow! And then I studied some more nutrition at a college in Olympia, Washington, called South Puget Sound Community mm-hmm. College. So I thought health and fitness was kind of what I wanted to go into doctor certification and later my personal trainer um, certification. I never actually worked as a personal trainer. Um, I did teach aerobics at one of our local gyms for a while. And so, yeah, I was super healthy, and I didn't think
1: that there was anything
2: to ever be worried about health-wise. So getting diagnosed with MS was a huge, huge shock.
1: So how old were you when you got diagnosed?
2: I was 26. 26. I think I was almost twenty-seven.
1: Mm-hmm. And how old was your son at that point?
2: He was two and a half, uh-huh. I believe. Two and a half. Yep, I think it's two and a half. So,
1: so what symptoms yes. <laughs> were you experiencing that led to your diagnosis?
2: Well, the ones that actually led me into the doctor, um, we they were going on for probably about two months, month and a half, two months before um, before I really like seriously talk to the doctor about it um but I started to have um you know that feeling when like your foot kind of falls asleep like that pins and needles feeling mm, yeah I started to have that on the right side of my face like kind of starting at the top of my head down through my face and then it would go through my arm and my right leg um and at first it was kind of pins and needles not too bad but pretty quickly within a couple of days it started um where like my hand would actually kind of like clench up and my foot and my leg, my right side would just stiffen up and it it just wouldn't work very good. Mm
0: -hmm. And it
2: would only last for like 30 to maybe 60 seconds, Mm -hmm. but it started happening repeatedly throughout the day. Um, And like I mentioned earlier, I was back to school at this time. Um, I went back to school a few years after I initially started college. And so it was happening and I full class load, and I was a single mom, and I just had a lot going on. I was yeah. working part-time, so it was a pain and really inconvenient, but mm-hmm. I just I, I just, just, didn't think it was anything. I just kind of tried to ignore it, but I had I mentioned to my mom that this happened. She was worried that it might be her um, grandma had died of a stroke, and then also her mom, maybe I have that flip, my grandma died of a stroke, and I think one of her grandma. I think there's multiple strokes in our family. I can't oh, remember wow. now exactly who, but. So my mom was worried that it was a stroke because with the one side of your body kind of seizing up and not working, you getting kind of droopy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So those are the symptoms that led me into the doctor and they wanted to do an MRI. Well, there were three things they wanted to do at first. They wanted to do an EKG of my heart, an ultrasound of my carotid arteries, and then an MRI. So I did the, the EKG of my heart uh, early on and then the ultrasound of my arteries but as a student, as a, I knew MRIs were really expensive mm-hmm. and not get student insurance at all. So I was like, oh, I really don't want to you know, get that dang MRI and I'm sure it's nothing. So I put that off, unfortunately, longer than, than I should have. Um, and it was the MRI that um, steered us in the direction of MS because the MRI, initially, they just did one of my brain and it showed multiple lesions throughout all different areas of my brain which is evidence of MS, but they couldn't make the diagnosis. Then they had to refer me to a specialist, which for MS, the specialist is a neurologist. So then she made the diagnosis.
1: What was that like to receive that news?
2: Awful. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: was really, I, I just, like I told you, I didn't
2: think, um, I, I didn't think it was anything. I think there's some kind of denial,
0: mm-hmm. at least
2: for me. I don't know mm-hmm. if other people go through this, when it's like something is not, right with your body something's going on that isn't familiar or normal but you just at least in my case because I didn't have a history of health problems I just thought it was some funky little weird thing that was just going to go away on its own so when I was waiting for the MRI results I remember just sitting in the doctor's waiting room um well the exam room I should say because mm-hmm. he'd gone out to get the results they were supposed to be had been in my chart and they weren't there yet so he's like oh, I'm gonna go call and see if I can get these sent over, find out where they are. I don't expect anything to be there. but you could just wait a few minutes. So he went out and I was just sitting in that exam room by myself. And I just remember just, you know, thinking about homework and what else I had to do when I left the doctor's office. And then he walked in the room a few minutes later and I could just tell from his face that there's just something on his face. Like you just know something isn't right. Just, yeah. And then like this awful awful feeling in your stomach where you're like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? And, and I remember him looking at me and he could tell from my face that I was kind of like worried. And I remember mm-hmm. him saying something along the lines of, well, your MRI is not, your results were not what I was expecting to see at all. He first off, you don't have cancer. Um, there's no brain tumor, but your MRI shows multiple lesions throughout your brain, which is evidence of multiple sclerosis. And I just started bawling at the time. I didn't, I'd heard the term MS before, but I didn't, I didn't really know what it was. And you're like frantically like racking your brain to try to remember anything that you know about that. But I just started, I just remember sobbing and shaking and it wasn't even because I I knew what, what it was. I, just, I knew it wasn't good it's by his face. I could yeah. tell that this was really not good. And, and I didn't have my cell phone with me that day. I had left it, I think I'd left it in my backpack in my car or back pretty sure it was just in my car. I just hadn't brought it into his office. Um, but I remember him just saying, Do you want to call somebody right now? And me just being like, I don't have my I don't have my phone and I really need to call my parents and so he let me use his cell phone and he stepped out of the room and so I called oh, my parents funny. right then and, and tell them mm-hmm. that I have MS and I I still don't know what what the heck it was and yeah. my parents both happened to be home at the time during the day when you usually my dad was at work. And when they answered the phone, you know, I was falling. And so, like, you know, a phone call that no parent wants to get when their child is hysterical on the other end. So that that was that day kind of in a nutshell.
1: So you had a steep learning curve. I mean, I, I'm putting myself in your shoes and thinking about what would I know off the top of my head about multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And you just think of people you might have known about it and, and how what their condition looked like, but what did you quickly learn about MS and what it is and what life was going to look like for you?
2: We had, I got the MRI results right before the Christmas break term from school. Mm-hmm. So then I got a referral to a neurologist by my parents' home where I was going to be over the Christmas break. So then I got in to see her. They got me in fairly quickly. Um, so, between the time when I saw her and I got the, the MRI, you know, I did a bunch of reading online and kind of wasn't, just kind of confused myself and scared myself, but seeing the neurologist was um, very eye-opening. You know, she, I have a, an awesome neurologist, she's very, very smart, very talented, um, but like you said, the, the learning curve is, is really hard, because I went into my first appointment, and she just gave me this big stack of binders of all different drugs that you can take for MS and
1: oh. um,
2: facts on the side effects and the um, the different things that, that it can help a little bit. But I just remember that first appointment was just a whirlwind of all these unfamiliar terms and just learning kind of what MS was um, and also realizing as I talked with her that the symptoms that initially led me to the doctor to get the mri were not the first symptoms that i had had of ms Um, i'd had stuff going on with my with my eyes back in my early 20s um just weird unexplained eye stuff where i lost vision in my left eye for a few months like i just i it was like no matter if i had contacts or glasses on looked like i was underwater with my left eye and the optometrist referred me to an ophthalmologist, and they did a bunch of tests and wanted to send me to a neuro-ophthalmologist, but uh, again, I was cheap at the time, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to, didn't want to deal with this. This was um, a few years prior, and then even a couple of years before that, I um, had a job in my early 20s. I was a flight attendant, and I started seeing weird things in my eyes, which I thought were like floaters or, um, I don't know, like blood vessels. But- I wasn't sure what it was, but um, so some of these random things that I'd had over the years that weren't necessarily anything serious—they were just weird, weird mm-hmm. little symptoms. It, I mean, you never, you don't know for sure when when it started or what all was um, part of it, but it sounds very—it sounded very likely that a lot of the other little little things that I had noticed over the years had probably been the early stages of my, of my MS.
1: What did you learn about how this disease usually progresses, and what were you seeing within you, your own how it was progressing in you?
2: If you think of like an electrical cord that comes off of an appliance, you know how they have the black you know it's like a black plastic cord mm-hmm. often yeah, um covering like copper wire inside the connected wire that carries the electrical signal like in someone with m s so in our brain and in our spinal cord our nerves are protected by this like coating called the myelin sheath. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a fatty coating that kind of protects the really delicate, sensitive nerves. And um, what they think happens in MS, and even the neurologists still aren't 100% sure they understand exactly how or why this happens. Um, they call it an autoimmune disease, or my neurologist even referred to at one time as like a modulating Autoimmune disease, meaning it's, I don't quite understand that part, but I've seen that before when I've researched it. Um, But it's, in a nutshell, for some reason, my own body, my immune system, certain cells in your immune system, they get confused um, between attacking, like, foreign invaders, like viruses and bacteria. They get confused between, like, foreign invaders and my actual, my own, um, my own cells. So, in the case of m s they get confused and they start attacking the myelin sheath, which is the coating hmm. over over the nerves and my brain and all down your your spinal cord spinal cord too. So it's almost like little mice chewing away at a electrical cord then you start chewing, and the, the black coating you can get little holes and it can peel off in pieces and before you know it, like the the copper wire. Inside of a cord can get exposed and the copper wire can get chewed through and it can be like completely severed um, or it can just kind of get chewed through and um, just damaged. So, like the signals that go from my brain to like my arms or my legs, that go to your bowels, that go to your pretty much every function your speech, um, mm-hmm. chewing, it can affect swallowing, it can affect all different, not chewing, but Swallowing it can affect all different things for different people, um, and the more lesions that you have, um, just means the more damage, the more areas that have been affected. Um, and depending on the lesion, there can be small lesions. Um, lesions are just like scars, basically, is what what they are. So they can be like little scars or big scars, um, and in some people's cases. Um, they can you know their lesions can affect their ability to walk and that's why some people end up in a wheelchair. They can affect their coordination, their balance, all all different things. MS is so unique, they say it's like a fingerprint, you know, no no two cases are alike.
1: Yeah. I imagine you going through that, there there must have been a period of grieving, maybe sadness or anger. What what was it like for you to try to accept that this was going to be part of a new life for you? Sadness, anger,
2: grieving. Yeah. Those are all, um, those are all the emotions, like Mm -hmm. definitely process through all of them. I would say, um, sadness was like the biggest, the biggest one for me. I've, I've tried throughout this process to uh, like the process of living with it for the last few years. I've tried to not ever allow myself to really like feel angry and dwell on it. Mm -hmm. Um, because that just doesn't, I just, that doesn't get me anywhere. Like, it is what it is. And for me, I, I tend more towards to go the sad route than the angry route. Yeah. Sad and get, you know, depressed and get a little hopeless and discouraged, um, you know, about the future. And and when I got the diagnosis and immediately following, you know, that's, I just, there was a lot of fear. Yeah. That I'd say that was the, the biggest thing that I just fear all the time. There are different types of MS, too. Um, mm-hmm. Often there it starts for people, um, and it's called relapsing-remitting rel- relapsing, MS. So you can have symptoms for a while, and if you're young, relatively healthy, often your body, just like it kind of can do with the scar on the outside of your body, it can heal, and there's still oh, evidence of the scar, but it can kind of repair a little bit, and often in the brain it can reroute your signals your brain signals through the nerve um, in the beginning in some people's cases but not in everybody's case some people get what's called a primary progressive form and they just kind of from diagnosis from the onset onward they just kind of go downhill and they don't ever have any periods of uh, where it kind of relapses or remits, or they have periods of break or healing just steady down decline so
1: what was it like for you then? So yeah, where were so you they on the spectrum? Mine,
2: mine was diagnosed as relapsing remitting, but then it was quickly, quickly changed to aggressive within the mm, the first year or two, um, and that was determined just based on how many lesions, new lesions, I was getting with each MRI. Um, normally, and for at least for me, my neurologist was ordered MRIs every six
1: months. Yeah. And, um,
2: so I started on some drugs, not right away when I got diagnosed, but I started on drugs the following year. And the goal with, um, with the MS drugs is to slow down, to slow down the progression of new lesions or relapses. They, they're not, they weren't going to stop it at all. They just could slow it down. And over the last couple of years, they've had some new drugs come out with a little higher efficacy rate are now around, like, 50%, 55%. And I think they might have – they have, like, two new ones that are just just coming on the market now to the FDA that I think are in the high 50s, low 60s. But still, that's just barely half is what the drugs so far through, like, their clinical trials show that they're able to stop lesion progression in the majority of patients. So that's definitely not a cure. It's just, a, you know, we can – slow bit down for most people. Um, but for me, the drugs that I tried in the first couple years, I was still getting lesion after lesion after lesion despite being on the So that is what my doctor termed as an aggressive one with that because it was not responding, so she would have me switch drugs.
1: So as you're seeing more and more lesions on your scan, what does it look like for you with your body and what's happening uh symptom wise.
2: Ah, uh, that's a really interesting thing. Um because of my age and because I have been healthy for the most part, you know, most of my life, I think um I don't know, I think that I hide my symptoms um fairly well. I don't know if that's a good thing or a, a bad thing to say. Um but for me um so the initial stuff I talked about, the numbness, the tingling, the weakness, the kind of drooping um, of my legs most of that stuff, like no one else could see from the outside. You know, if your foot falls asleep and you feel that pins and needles feeling, no one else, you know, can, can see that going on. So there was changes in my vision. Um, I see them and I'm constantly aware of them. But to an outside observer, they wouldn't see anything. Um, I try really hard to, you know, work on you know, good posture and, you know, my walking form. And I don't think that anyone would look at me and think think that I have it, but it affects my daily life um, in all different ways. Uh, not just the physical symptoms, but for me, like the mental part of living with MS is up till this point so far, compared to my physical symptoms, the mental Symptoms have been the worst, and they're just they're with me all the time. Mm-hmm. Some of it's just the fear mm-hmm. that comes from living with it, but MS affects the mind in a lot of ways um, that they don't even quite understand. My neurologist has described it as, you know, the more lesions you get, your brain kind of starts to look like Swiss cheese. There's like mm-hmm. holes throughout your brain, mm-hmm. and so um, depression and anxiety. Fatigue, uh, forgetfulness, confusion, brain fog, those are all symptoms uh, of just having so many like lesions or little, little teeny tiny holes in your brain. So, those uh, those symptoms I notice all the time throughout yeah. the day. But um, one of the things that's been the hardest is, um, you know, people tell me, lots of people have told me, you know, family, and I tell myself this all the time worry about it you know try not to worry and, yeah. and I'm a worrier just by nature even before I had MS I just like I'm just one of those people who just worries I want things to go good I want you know I want everyone to be okay and so I always just worry I almost like to kind of imagine worst case scenario sometimes so I can prepare myself yeah. for it and hopefully it doesn't go that way but so having a personality type like mine and then having a a disease that's so unpredictable and that does affect your brain it is it's a very very much a vicious cycle because I'll start worrying about something that I feel that's new and I'm always trying to analyze like my symptoms like you know my foot will feel numb in a different way or my leg will feel more weak or I'll kind of like start tripping over my foot one day and I'll be thinking you know is this as bad as it was a few weeks ago so I'm always trying to compare things in my mind like is this getting worse Um, and then I start worrying about that and then I get depressed (laughs) and then, then that's not good. So, um, since I got my diagnosis, it's, it's one of those things where you feel like it's hard and it's challenging to you, but at the same time, you know, there's so many other people out there who live with, you know, things that are just as hard and way harder, you know, people who are paralyzed, people who have gone through stroke, people who are missing limbs you know, cancer throughout their body. So I feel like um, MS is really hard, but it's not as hard as a whole lot of other things. So then there's this kind of weird guilt that you feel sometimes too, where mm-hmm. you're frustrated, you know, with your body and you're worried, but then you remind yourself that you could have it so much worse. And, and then you feel guilty for, you know, being frustrated. And yeah. so sometimes that's, <laughs> that happens to me a lot.
1: After you see that di the official diagnosis and you are learning about what your future could entail, and you're yeah. going through this a lot of uh grief and sadness over it, what enabled you to move forward and to i mean still be you, still be Lauren and still be the mom you wanted to be and not let it overtake the life that you still have
2: having a a good support system of family and good friends. They were all super encouraging and supportive, um, just even in educating themselves about it, you know, reading up about it and then, you know, offering me encouragement. And looking back, I do wish that I would have um, looked for, like, a support group or reached out to try to find other people with MS in the beginning, you know, besides my family and friends who knew and, you know, encouraged me to take care of myself. Um, I wish that I would have connected sooner and started to look um, and realize that there's a lot of other people out there who have it, a lot of other women in my age group. Um, and that's one thing that I think is really important for people living with any kind of health challenge to not only have family and friends who support and encourage you, you know, to, to stay positive and do good, but to actually know other people who live who live with the same challenge that you do. There's just something about about that common, you know, shared understanding and empathy and that, you know, they walk a similar path, even though their symptoms could be completely different.
1: It's nice to have more of that support. Um, do you have that now?
2: Yeah. Um, I do. One of my really good friends that I actually met through church, she is two years younger, two and a half years younger than me, and she has MS. Oh, wow. And then I also yeah so that's been that's been awesome to just have a friend and to be able to just have someone who understands just some of the tiny like weird little symptom stuff that other people might not you know think is any big deal, but for someone with m s it's just hard, like the brain fog or the confusion or just the mental um the mental uncertainty that you live with.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: That, that has been awesome to have. That's my friend Brittany. Um, but I also met another girl through my neurologist. And she was a couple years older than me. And she actually went and had a stem cell transplant. And it was through her that I learned about the stem cell transplant through her and my doctor. So the more people you talk to and get to know, it's like, it just really opens up your world to um, big things like other, you know, potential treatment options or drugs, even just the small things, you know, like um, learning about um, like little shortcuts or things you can do in your life to help conserve energy. That's one of the big, um, one of the big things I guess I can't believe I haven't even touched on this one. One of my biggest symptoms is uh, fatigue and not like the fatigue where you just, you know, you didn't sleep good one night. So you're tired. MS fatigue. um, I read it described one time. It's like, I don't know if this is a true statistic, but it said something about it takes a person with MS almost five times more energy to complete a simple task than it does someone without MS. Oh, wow. I don't know how that stat was
1: hmm.
2: was um compiled, but a friend shared it with me and I was like, "Huh, that's really interesting." And you know, I don't know what it feels like to be somebody else. I only know, you know, my own body, but little things, you know, carrying groceries and sometimes just walking with, you know, carrying my daughter, little things just wear me out in such a different way than I remember getting worn out in mm-hmm. my, you know, later teens, early twenties. So
1: and <sighs> you brought up, I mean, you are obviously a mother. you had, you have two kids. Yeah. You still were able yep. to finish school. What mm-hmm. walk us through the, the years following your diagnosis a bit and what you were still able to, I guess, take back and, um, kind of some of the life experiences you've had during that time as well
2: yeah well so um when I got my diagnosis I had been dating a guy at school and um there were a lot of things that went on after I got my diagnosis like just for me mentally just you know fear uncertainty worry just you know wanting to have a family I mentioned I was a single mom at the time and Mm -hmm. wanting to be married I'd always wanted my son to have a sibling and so um, the guy I was dating at the time, we had been talking about getting married before I got my MS diagnosis. But for me, getting that diagnosis was just like, I felt so much anxiety and kind of like, I need to move forward with my life because I don't know how long my life is going to be. And I was really I worried see. in the beginning about about dying. Like I didn't, I, didn't, hmm. I didn't take the time to really research that, yes, people die from MS and they tend to have a shorter life expectancy, But it's not like something where, you know, you have like a, you know, two to five months, you know, um, two to five months to live. So kind of went forward um, in this relationship without, I think, letting the um, time, without taking the time that I needed to let such a big thing sink in, like a big diagnosis and um, just kind of wanted to, you know, rush forward in life and kind of do the things that I wanted to do or been hoping to do. so we ended up getting married, and the neurologist had told us that if, you know, if we wanted to have any more kids, we should – she said something along the lines about having them sooner rather than later because I need to get on medication soon.
0: I so see. we got pregnant with my daughter,
2: yeah. our daughter, and um, so I wasn't on medication at first throughout the pregnancy. And then after I had Eden, I had my first set of MRIs since my diagnosis, and I had, like, five new lesions in my brain and cervical cord since my first one. Um, and we still had never done a, a thoracic MRI because my symptoms didn't match the symptoms of um, thoracic cord lesions. So at the time we were still thinking that they were just kind of isolated to my brain and my spinal cord as in my symptoms. So the pregnancy for me, the pregnancy itself wasn't hard, but, uh, you know, the the first few months after you have a new baby, you know, you're up all throughout the night nursing yeah. your baby. And that just played havoc on my, on my system. Cause I was all, I'm already tired all the time. And then being yeah. up with a, a baby all throughout the night constantly. And my daughter just, we was she would just get up a lot during the night and I was
1: mm-hmm. so
2: tired. My son at the time was, he was just, just over four when she was born. So having two kids, um, that was just a, that was just a tough time and in life and in our relationship um there is a higher divorce rate i guess among people with ms i learned at a lecture given by um a doctor that i went to a while ago and i i, I don't know if this is across the board with other illnesses too but there's just um because it affects your brain and there's, there can be like sexual dysfunction and some people with ms that can be a side effect and, um just your whole outlook on life, like I have mentioned before, can be, you know, just distorted with this. So obviously that makes it hard, not only for the person living with it, but then the person that, you know, the people that they live with, their family and their friends.
1: And yeah.
2: So that was, um, that was, that was the year following the diagnosis when I had my daughter and I finished my degree while I was pregnant with her. I got That's my bachelor's incredible. degree in communications. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got my my degree in communications, and I did an internship in the human, resource, human resources office on the campus of the college that I went to. I went to BYU-Idaho, which is um, down in southern Idaho, Rexburg. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially, you know, I thought I could still do everything with MS. I was going to still try, but in my body was telling me in multiple different ways, but I couldn't.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I couldn't do everything that I wanted to or thought I could but I was kind of slow to, to pick up on my body's cues.
1: You talked about how it can be so hard on a marriage. And you've also mentioned that you were divorced. So is this where that played into that for you? Yeah. Um, my daughter was, um, seven months at the time
2: and we just kind of things have been rocky during my pregnancy. Um, it just, there's a lot of things that, you know, like like any relationship that ends, there was a lot of factors that played into it besides sure. just, besides just the m mm-hmm. s but um m s was definitely one one of the pieces, but we just had we have been struggling since pretty much since we got married, and um I remember there was just one day in particular that um it was the day that I got the message from my nurse that I had had multiple new lesions since my daughter was born Hmm. and things just kind of this day kind of it was like the day that kind of set things kind of down the hill that had been building for a long a while I guess we hadn't been married that long but um so yeah it just one thing led to another and we separated and so the kids and I ended up staying with my parents and that was a really really hard time just the stress of a divorce is just it's devastating on anybody and family um as well but going through it with a new baby who was, yeah. I guess was six seven months to me she was still a new baby a and new then baby. having MS yeah and then having MS and knowing that stress you know is not good stress is, you know, one of the things that in any health condition, they tell you, you know, you've got to manage your stress and be careful about stress. And but knowing stress is like one of the worst things, you know, to you have your body go through when you already are living with a chronic illness. Um, and then it, it was kind of like what we talked about earlier, where it's like this vicious cycle, like, then I'd stress all the more that all the stress from the, mm-hmm. the divorce mm-hmm. was going to be making it worse. And then it was just, it was, that was definitely one of the very hardest Hardest times of my life, and my heart just goes out to people going through divorce and in any in any season or in any circumstance. But but it was also a you know like so many hard things in life. You no, know, it was a growth experience that I didn't really appreciate at the time. Yeah. Um, I guess it was you know I just kind of wanted to get. It's like you kept thinking as you're going through it that it's going to get better, and you want to get to this point where it's better, um, and That takes it takes a long time. There's a lot to work out, you know, with with kids. In this case, with our daughter, and you know, sharing parenting when you have just a little one who's so little, still a nursing baby. Um, So during the divorce, honestly, the the support from my family and one of my best friends, literally, that was just one of the biggest godsend to have her there, and we were able to, you know do stuff with our kids together during the day stuff. And that just helped, helped take my focus a little bit off of the divorce and onto, onto better things. So that's one thing that, um, in thinking about, talking about this, um, you know, my experience with MS is the people um, that come into our lives, sometimes just in, you know, the very moment that we need them. You know, I'm a religious person and my faith is, super super important to me and i've just felt so blessed when i look back over my life I've had some really hard hard moments and hard times but i just feel like there have been angels in the form of friends family members who have been there and helped kind of just carry the the burden of the trial that i was going through with me at that time and god didn't take it away that i just have felt so many times that he has sent like living angels there to help to help, help me through hard things time and time again.
1: And I can see that that's the case for you. I just so admire your outlook on it and, and how you're looking for those angels, you know, you're looking for those blessings. And I wanted to ask what you do now, looking back, appreciate about that hard time in your life and what it taught you.
2: Well, I guess first and foremost, I appreciate my health in such a different way. I appreciated the health that I had up until the point of diagnosis and I still appreciate the health that I have despite despite living with MS. I still have uh, relatively good health and functionality, all things considered. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much more and I feel like when I wake up in the morning, often, you know, one of my first thoughts when I you know, say my morning prayers um it's just for my body gratitude for my body and all that that it's able to do and accomplish and um i feel like i've i tried lately especially the last couple well a few months last year to more look at my body um as my something kind of cheesy but look at it as like my friend and that it's on my side that it's not doing the ms to try and hurt me for whatever reason you know biologically physiologically whatever reason it's not like my body is trying to mess me up even though it's doing stuff inside my brain to literally kind of um, attack itself in a sense I don't I still I try not to look at it as my body's against me just for whatever reason it's, it's confused and it's not functioning you know exactly as it should be but when I can try to be easier on myself and talk more um, like myself, talk, try to be more patient and recognize when I'm experiencing symptoms or fear or worry to just try and um, to, to be patient and to talk, to talk to myself as if I was talking to a friend, you know, to just realize that to be anxious or to be worried or stressed is normal and it's okay. And With the whole theme of your, podcast being, you know, about progress over perfectionism. I've struggled with the perfectionism thing for as far back as I can remember as a little kid, just always wanting to do good in whatever I was doing, wanting to be right, wanting to follow the rules. And so having my body kinda not work exactly the way I want it to, that's been um, that's been such a learning curve and to be able to accept that For me, you know, I can't do the things other moms can do. And in a lot of areas, like there's a lot, majority of things I can do, take care of my kids, the basic stuff. But, you know, I can't be one of those super moms who, you know, runs her own business from home and takes care of my kids and makes amazing meals. And all these things that I wish and want to do, I'm having to just learn to be okay with. Sometimes I don't get a lot done. And sometimes I don't. I, well, most of the time, I don't get things done the way I would like them to. I'm just still learning to be to be okay and to recognize that I can't compare myself to people who don't live with MS or who don't have other health challenges. But but that's definitely a process, and I'm just in the midst of learning to to do better with that.
1: Well, so you've been through all of this, and we still haven't even touched on. Uh, some really hard things you've gone through the last year and a half. I want I want to hear about what you have been through with the last year and a half with your MS, yeah. and what has led to. So what what ended up being a really helpful thing your stem cell transplant. So what was that? Yeah, all like the past year and a half with this um, transplant.
2: Um. So last January, January of twenty sixteen, um, my neurologist um had ordered that. MRIs of my lower spine, my thoracic spine. Like I mentioned before, she didn't think based on my symptoms that I had anything there. Um, Surprising to both of us, my MRIs came back and they were just, as she described it, they were just, my lower spine was riddled with lesions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that sent her into like um, hyper, uh, we got to do something about this and we have to do something big because, you know, to have this many lesions that might need the thing I'll, like, one of the most profound things she's ever said to me, she turned to me and she said, if we don't do something serious about this, you will be in wheelchair before you're your mom's age. And my mom's in her 50s. And, mm-hmm.
0: you know, no one wants
2: to hear oh, to hear that, that that's the, the course that they're on. Um, and so mm-hmm. she had mentioned a stem cell transplant to me, like, a year or two before. It's, it's a new, it's a new thing that It's under clinical trials right now in the United States. And so unless you get selected for a clinical trial, insurance isn't covering it at this time. They need so many years of documented uh, study results before they'll cover it because it's a very expensive procedure. So they've been doing this in other countries um, for years. They've been doing this stem cell transplant in Italy for, I think, since 1998, and have had really good results. And she had told me about it before, but it sounded pretty drastic and extreme. And, you know, at the time she had told me about it years before, we didn't think I had as many lesions. And so it just wasn't something I really wanted to consider to, you know, fly halfway around the world and have this procedure done. And um, what it is, in in a nutshell, is something that they do for cancer patients where um, they give you really, really heavy chemotherapy. They give you some in the beginning to mobilize your stem cells to get them to move out of your bones into your blood. And then they harvest your stem cells. Somehow they, I don't know, they cry back, free them. And then they hit you with four different types of chemo after, after they've harvested your stem cells. And then they try to obliterate your immune system, kind of knock out majority of your um, active immune cells that are like floating in your blood. So that um, if if they didn't give you your own stem cells back, you would die. Is what they, my neurologist told me. Like they, oh they kill so much with the chemo, um, and the hope is they want to kind of wipe out your body's memory of MS, the the memory in your cells of um, where they would attack your own body, and then they kind of want to restart your immune system, almost like rebooting a computer with the frozen stem cells that they've taken out of your bones, which are naive stem cells. So they haven't been circulating throughout your body yet to get confused. Like the ones um, that attack that are, were attacked in your system before. So, um, so I went over and decided to have this procedure done and that makes it sound like it was just a quick decision. This was like a oh year, gosh, yeah, a year in the making.
1: Sounds so it, horrid to go
2: through it, that it was, decision was, alone. It was elective chemotherapy, too. You know, when you have mm. cancer, you know, often it's like a last resort. Um, and in my case, and I didn't have cancer, and so I had to voluntarily choose to have all this chemo, and it was really, really hard. I mean, you know, chemo oh is like goodness. poison to your body.
1: Yeah.
2: And my mm-hmm. hair my hair fell out. We had to, you know, buzz my head. And the, the, the process can take, depending on how it goes for different people, it can take between two and three months, depending on how your body reacts. Um, I was there a little less than three months, but um, it was hard. It was physically, it was the hardest thing I've, I've ever been through. Um, and the the second part of it, you were, because they've given you such heavy chemo and you have really no immune system left, they have to keep you in what's called isolation. So it's this room that has like double doors to get into and it has special air filters to try to keep the air, you oh know, it's goodness. free from germs now all- Allergens as possible, and the doctors when they would come in during the day, the nurses more the nurses I just said the doctors come in a couple times throughout the day, but they'd have to wear you know the gown, the gloves, full mask, and any visitor that I would have come in, I could just have one visitor a day and they had to be completely you know wow. decked out and all the surgical guard <laughs> yeah medical staff and the support of my family and my husband during that time was just cannot put i can't think of words to you know, describe how incredible it was to have all their support and just the prayers of so, so many people. And uh, some of my closest friends did fundraising to help cover the procedure. So so many people in our community and family members were so generous and helped chip in financially to make it possible. So it was just angels all over the place. And every part of that experience, there was definitely heavenly help to orchestrate it all.
1: Okay, so how how did that affect your health then? Did you see an immediate shift? Did it take?
2: Um, well, so far, um, I just had new MRIs done in April, and everything mm-hmm. was quiet on them, which is awesome, which is just what we want. Um,
1: and by quiet, you mean they like, look the same as the last quiet, one? Yeah, meaning
2: no... Yep, no new lesions, and in some case, in some of the lesions, my neurologist said some of them actually looked a little bit softer, or fuzzier, like oh, almost really? like there's been a little bit more healing, which is possible. They say not What's to. That? They say the, the hope is the hope of the treatment is to slow or stop progression. There's no guarantee that it's going to stop it permanently, but the hope is that it will at least slow things down. Um, in some people's cases that they've documented over the years. So far, they're still studying them, but some people have not had their MS come back. Some people have had it come back, but it's That's been incredible. way more mild than it was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if it does come back, the hope is that it will be more mild and that it will respond to the drugs that it didn't previously respond to before the transplant. So, mm. um, But the recovery process after the chemo, after I got back, I had six months of um, strict uh, moderate isolation once I got back home where I wasn't supposed to be in public, um, any more than absolutely necessary. I had to wear a mask in the beginning when I would go out, if I had to go out to the store, I was not supposed to go to the doctor's office unless I was, you know, very, very sick because, my doctor said going to a like an urgent care or a doctor's office is like the worst place I could possibly be oh. just because of sick people and the germs oh, that I could yeah. catch so you kind of have to live in a, a bubble for the first six months and the recovery process from so much chemo I mentioned I had one type in the beginning and then four more different four different types of chemo so it was a total of five different types of chemo and then I had some really strong immunosuppressing drugs after the chemo so just so much medicine in your body just Ugh, it's, it's still, I'm still having just side effects just from the chemo that were not even related to my MS. So that's been a, also been a learning process of just trying to be patient with myself. And my symptoms, I still have like my old symptoms, you know, my, my neurologist said, you know, they're not going to go away. They're like scars, you know, it doesn't just disappear, but a lot of people have improvement and I do notice in certain things I have improvement. Um, I used to kind of trip over my right foot when I would be exercising sometimes, and that's been a lot better lately. Um, And some of my numbness and tingling, some days I don't notice it hardly at all, and some days I do. So it's kind of um, up and down, but I have definitely noticed some improvements, which is phenomenal. I'm still going to have MRIs regularly, but to not have to be on any MS drugs is great. I used to have to give myself shots in the beginning, um, and then I had oral pills too, so to not have to do with any of that. It just feels great. And (laughs) I take like herbal supplements and stuff. And I was on uh, medication following the transplant for six months. And I just got to stop those medications like an anti, I had to take a regular antibiotic for six months and an antiviral. So it's just nice to not have so many like prescriptions to have to take.
1: So you mentioned that you were married during this time. So can you tell us about (laughs) meeting your now husband and what it was like to love again and trust again and launch into a marriage. Oh, yes. Um, That, this is something I'm super happy to talk about, but um, my husband, Jason,
2: and I we met two years ago um, and we, we met through, um, I went to a singles activity, part of our church, a big, a big camp out and actually camp next to this, older gentleman, our friend Dwayne, who was in his later 70s, and him and I got to be friends, and he had known Jason since Jason was a teenager, and so he introduced us, and we spent a weekend at this big church camp thing together. They had, you know, families all camped, and I brought my son, um, and they had activities, and so we just went to some, you know, we went to just some workshops together and hikes, and there's just just a sweet, peaceful feeling that I felt that I've never Never felt, and I feel like I've always been chasing in, you know, relationships, hoping to find, you know, this feeling, and it just was never there. And it was one of those things where it just, it was quiet, and it wasn't like you know big fireworks, but it was just a peaceful feeling. And we both have just reflected on the fact that we both felt it that weekend, and and we dated long distance for a year, and um, we found out about the the stem cell transplant early on before we were even officially dating. And so the fact that we were able to keep a long-distance relationship going as I was preparing to go on this, um, you know, I don't want to call it an adventure. It was an adventure, but not like the type of adventure. Not a fun <laughs>
1: adventure. <laughs> yeah.
2: This medical adventure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were dating this whole time over the distance, and he's never been married before, and he didn't have any kids. And I had two kids, and MS. And um, it was just, it just, again, of, of all the blessings in my life, this has truly been one of the very sweetest to have met someone during this time and to have had his support. And there was a lot of times during the process where I didn't, I didn't know that it would work out. I really worried that mm. just with everything and with me being gone and stuff, that it wasn't going to work. And I, was, I would always get super, super depressed when I would start thinking that way because I just cared about him in such a different way than I had ever cared about someone else. And mm. thankfully, I, we were able to continue dating throughout this and it was a learning process for both of us you know he didn't know anything about ms before before me and so i had ms and i had my kids and and we had never talked about getting married before the transplant up until a month and a half before before we were supposed to i was supposed to leave and we just it's kind of a long story but someone had suggested um that when the feeling, when it's right with someone, when you've put in the time and the effort and you know that it's right, you know, that you shouldn't delay. And, um, and this person suggested it to us at a thing over the 4th of July. And we both just kind of laughed and just like not, you know, with everything we had coming up, just didn't think there'd be any way, you know, that something like that would happen or work. And um, it just like the seed had been planted and we started talking about it. And just, it seemed like there was too many things going on to try and, you know, squeeze a wedding in before everything else, but it was like things just came together within a few weeks with both of our families and his family was out of the area and so they all had to travel and we were married in the temple, which um, uh, in our and our religion is something that um, we you know want to do and that can take some time to get everything together to coordinate and it just all came together um, so within amazing. just weeks and the support of family and friends and church members it was it was it was beautiful thing
1: (laughs) i'm so pleased for you i mean that really is it's just beautiful to hear that happiness in your voice and you know true love like that it's it's it is through thick and thin and you guys are you've already been through a lot of thick so i hope you have a lot Uh, of happy times
2: i hope so too it's a good way to start they put me in really quick and i was gonna go but Um, before I left for the transplant one of the things is the chemo can be so so hard on your female like reproductive system It often it puts you into menopause like permanently Mm
1: -hmm. so
2: they they put me into a chemical menopause through some drugs before I went over there my doctors did to try and just they tried they try to protect your um your parts a little bit just so that um if nothing else that so maybe you don't you have to deal with like osteoporosis and stuff that can come from early menopause. So, oh, I see. so yeah, mm-hmm. I was in menop- menopause before I got married
1: and then <laughs> oh, my less than a week after flying across the,
2: across the world. And, you know, I started chemo and my hair was falling out and he buzzed it. So it was just a, it was a great first couple months of marriage. You know, it wasn't all like just, you know, rainbows and roses. It was just real life. And I wouldn't, mm-hmm. have tr- I wouldn't trade it for
1: well, he has to be something special to deserve you. That's for sure, Lauren. I just have loved learning from you. You are so incredible i I feel like we might have touched on this earlier um when I just asked you what you had gleaned from um your first uh marriage and the and and just the hard times that came after that, and maybe you have some different answer about the last few years what is something that you've learned about yourself? Uh,
2: oh, well, I I think the biggest thing is I've learned that even though I don't like to do hard things, that with the strength of the Lord and my family that I can do hard things and you know, I wish I I wish I didn't have to do hard things and I wish everybody else didn't have to, but um I've learned it's not always pretty, but you know, we we get through things and um One thing especially is that um, I tend to have, like, bad days, you know, sometimes fairly regularly, and I'm just learning that, you know, just because I have a bad day or a series of bad days doesn't mean that, you know, that has to set the (laughs) precedence going forward, you know. Bad days can be followed by really good days, and to appreciate the good days and to recognize that the bad days come, but they also go, and for me to not sometimes allow myself to dwell on them more than necessary, but to recognize that this is a bad day or this is a tough season, you know, I'm I'm not feeling good for any number of reasons health wise and, and that's okay. And it's gonna, you know, I'm going to feel better at some point down the road, at least I hope. And so, um, yeah, I'd say learning that I can do hard things and learning to not just kind of sit back and be depressed, but sometimes to take initiative and do something, even if it's just small,
1: Clearly, you're a go-getter, and I mean, just this huge transition you've dealt with in your life. You've done it so gracefully, and I know that regardless of uh, the listeners experiencing their own physical or mental issues, that they can learn from you, and I have learned from you, and I'm so glad that you would take the time to be on the show today. Thank you so much, Lauren.
2: Thank you, Monica. It's been a
1: pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate it. I'd love to hear what you learned from Lauren. Wasn't she just so great? And she's been through so much. I just am so amazed that she is willing to share her journey and and share the good and the bad and to inspire other people to know that chronic illness is not the end. Lauren wanted our listeners to know that she has an email set up for anybody who is interested in talking to her about MS or other chronic illnesses and how they are dealing with it. I've linked that in the show notes as well as her blog and her Instagram account. And I've also linked to several YouTube videos where she is the focus point. So I thought that would be interesting for all of you. You can find the show notes at aboutprogress.com Um, If you're not able to see them on your app, I don't have a do something highlight for you today, only because I would like to send out a special request that you please contact me with what you are doing in your life that scares you and is challenging you and to whatever effects are happening because of that, uh, whether they're funny or inspiring, motivating, whatever, just email me at packerprogress at gmail.com. I love hearing from you and receiving your nominations too about who should be on the show. Lauren was one of those who was nominated. Next Wednesday, I'll have Seth Adam Smith on the show. He should sound familiar to you. His 2013 article, Marriage Isn't For You, is estimated to have been read by 100 million people. Whoa. We talk a bit about the three-year-long mind trip that he then went on after the very big success of this article and just trying to live up to his and others' expectations. But we also talk about his incredible books he's written, both fiction and nonfiction, how he writes on top of having a full-time job and a marriage and a new little baby. and But mostly what we talk about is his life with chronic depression from a very young age. He has a recent campaign that he is really focusing on to prevent suicide, and it was inspired by his own failed suicide attempt 10 years ago. We talk in great depth about all of that, and I really think that you do not want to miss this episode. It will air next Wednesday. So I will see you next Wednesday to listen to that interview. And until then, take care of yourself.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.